When we open the pages of scripture, we see a story unfolding. A story of beauty and betrayal. A story of curses and covenants, of destruction and restoration. A story where heaven once met earth but was severed due to sin. A promise of a redeemer that would heal what was broken, would restore what was lost in us and in this world. A final battle and the return of a king. So how did we get from here? to what we have now in, you can say, pop culture Christianity. This, get your tickets to heaven now, folks, get them while they're hot, <laughs> sort of concept, where being a Christian has been boiled down to getting to heaven, right? <laughs> there's a starting point, there's the ending point, but we don't really know what happens in the in-between. I like to also call it this sort of Sunday school Christianity, this idea that, well, <laughs> Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. And all that really matters is that one day, you know, if, I, if I'm a good person, if I try my best to, to live this Christian life, that I will go to heaven. One of our greatest gifts and responsibilities as believers in Messiah, as believers in Yeshua, is to bring clarity and to bring truth where there is confusion or misunderstanding to the word of God, to scripture, and to what the gospel truly is and what that means for us as followers of Yeshua. So I hope I can do a little bit of that today in this video. Not that long ago, I heard a pastor share in a, in a message he was giving his method for witnessing to others. And his method began this way. Son, do you want to go to heaven? While this isn't necessarily wrong, it is also not what the Bible points as the way we reach people with Yeshua. Why am I saying that? Because the whole goal of following Yeshua is not to get to heaven. <laughs> Now, this whole idea is, interestingly enough, a very me-centered, it's very me-centered gospel. It's a gospel that's about what I have done, what I will do, and where I am going. But that's not the story we see in scripture at all, which is a story of what God did, what God is doing, and what God will do, what he did through his son. What does Paul talk about in his letter. He talks about how we are running a race with endurance, but the goal is heaven. No, the goal is we run with the race with endurance because the goal is Yeshua. The goal is Jesus. We're running after him. And so, you know, this, this whole concept we see has been infiltrating Christianity. You can say the lives of believers for hundreds and hundreds of years. But one thing that affected it was this concept of a sinner's prayer. This issue of the sinner's prayer actually started with this evangelist by the name of Billy Sunday. He was a famous, brilliant evangelist who um, preached to millions of people in the first two decades of the 20th century. He was very uh, um, energetic on stage. You can look up videos or pictures of him. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of people came because he was very entertaining, but there was one fatal flaw. And that flaw was the introduction of this idea of a sinner's prayer because there was too many people. There were too many people 
to disciple. There were too many people to counsel individually. And so to streamline conversions, he instituted the concept of a sinner's prayer and a handshake at the end of a service if you prayed that prayer. And by doing so, that was the sign that you are now saved. The issue we see here is that people can receive the word joyfully. They can be excited about it and go, wow, I, I accept this, I believe in God. But the moment trial, challenges, hardship comes up in their lives, they reject it because that word had no root in them. Yeshua explains this in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. In so many cases in our churches today, we have become so focused on converting people that we forget to ask ourselves what we're converting them to. We're so focused on winning people, but we neglect to ensure that we're actually winning them to the true biblical gospel of Messiah and discipling them to walk as he walked. And it becomes like this sort of shallow intellectualism where I, I know about God, I, I believe in God, but we know in James it says, even the demons believe and they tremble. God, Yeshua also said that there will be many who come to him saying, Lord, 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 I, mean, I know your name. I know about you, Lord, Lord. But God will say to them, be gone, I never knew you. You knew about me, but you didn't know me. This race for results, the streamlined conversions, this mixing and exchanging of discipleship for entertainment, we see still today, even in bigger ways. We see it on the TV. <laughs> We've reached 10,000 with the gospel, and, and the next media station has to up their number. Well, we reached 20,000, and well, you know, 20,000 are converted to the gospel. And this, this race for numbers. But in some of these cases, it is the same issue that even Billy Sunday experienced, where thousands would come forward to say a sinner's prayer, would come to shake his hand after the service. But because there was no root in themselves, as Yeshua talked about in the parable of the sower, because there was no root, because it was simply an emotional response without true discipleship, true counseling, true biblical teaching on what the gospel truly is, it quickly faded away. So what is the gospel that Yeshua actually came to preach? Jesus, Yeshua, came into Galilee proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. So what is this good news that Yeshua is talking about? Well, he says repent and believe this good news. So evidently it's a good news he just said a moment ago. And what did he just say a moment ago? The kingdom of God is at hand. The gospel of the kingdom is a tale as old as time. It's a tale or a story that begins back in the Garden of Eden 
like I mentioned at the beginning of this message. It begins in a place where heaven met earth and where there was beauty and God called it very good. But then sin entered this world, lust, greed, cruelty, hatred, pride. All of these things began poisoning the people who lived in this earth and the earth itself. In God's perfect world, it was now a broken world filled with these sins spreading like a plague, causing and perpetuating death. The close relationship with the creator, with the king and his creation, who we had called to be his image bearers, was broken. There was a distance now. Instead of being able to have heaven meet earth, now there was separation. Because light cannot fellowship with darkness. But yet, even as this happened, God in his great mercy gave a promise, a promise of a coming redeemer who would restore everything that had been lost and broken and would crush the head of a serpent, of that serpent of old, that sin would be overthrown, evil would be overthrown, and the world would be restored back to its original, you can say, Eden state. This first promise was given to Adam and Eve in the garden, but God continued to remind his people through the prophets, through prophecies that his plan of restoration was coming. And that is what Yeshua is talking about when he says the time has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. Every promise and prophecy that God gave to his people to have them remember and to look forward to what he was about to do were all being fulfilled and were coming to fruition in the person of Yeshua as he inaugurated the return of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We see this all throughout scripture. A few examples include Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus came as the culmination of Israel's story and the promises that God gave to restore and to rescue his people. Daniel 7, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So the message that Yeshua came to preach was that the time has come, God's kingdom has arrived, life, new life, and freedom is here, and you all have a part to play in this exciting story of what God is doing. This concept was so important that Yeshua taught his disciples and all those who would listen to pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is 
in heaven. Now, as Yeshua is going around preaching the gospel of the kingdom, where you can say that the kingdom of God has come and it has arrived and you repent and believe in this good news, there was some opposition. And the reason why was because there was many in his time, many Jewish people who were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for someone who would take down the Roman oppression that would be a deliverer, like recent history, Judah Maccabee. God worked through Judah Maccabee uh, when the Greeks were had taken over Israel through the king Antiochus Epiphanes and were oppressing the Jewish people, persecuting them, and, and lots of horrible stuff that happened, right? Um, but God used Judah Maccabee to bring about physical deliverance to his people Israel, which is celebrated in the, the holiday of Hanukkah. And, you know, if it hadn't been for that, there would not have been an Israel for Yeshua to have been born into. So that was a very important event in Israel's history. But at the same time, physical deliverance has, has an expiration date. It doesn't last forever. Even in the story of what happened after um, the Maccabees were able to bring about this, this deliverance and get rid of the oppression from the Greeks, right, and God... Um, delivered them, they're able to restore living in the land of Israel and the, having the temple be cleaned and purified to, again, offer offerings to the Lord. Not that long later, things started to go downhill again because there had not yet been deliverance in the hearts of man, only the physical deliverance. And after, in the later generations, we see the different, uh, the different variety of Pharisee, Sadducee, Essenes, all these different sects that emerged from this time period as different groups started deciding what following the law of God really meant and how you were supposed to do it. And additional laws being added and taken away from Torah, which we know according to Torah is not what you're not allowed to do that. You're now breaking Torah by doing that. Um, but this all kind of sort of this decay um, this division started happening after that, as well as other mess, you know, priests becoming kings and all of that, and just stuff that was, yeah, going downhill. <laughs> but that was because it was a physical deliverance alone. But Yeshua came to bring a different deliverance. He came to not wage war against physical armies of Rome, but to wage war against spiritual principalities, spiritual powers. And he did that when he went and prayed for someone to be healed, when he cast out that demon, when he rebuked the lies that we have believed, when he called out the sin that we walk in, that pride, that lust, that if you even look at someone with lust, you're committing adultery, when he got to the heart of the matter because Yeshua knew that true deliverance, true freedom begins in our hearts. We are not able to live in freedom, to share freedom with others unless we are first free ourselves. In Luke 4, after he had been tempted in the wilderness, he came to the synagogue as was normal for him, right? It says in the scripture that he normally went to the synagogue every Sabbath. And on this Sabbath, he opened the scroll of Isaiah and read this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Yeshua came to proclaim the year of Jubilee, the year of freedom from bondage, of liberty to the captive. We as humans had chosen sin. We had allowed sin to spread in the entire world like a cancer. And the sin was destroying us, was destroying this earth and all of creation groans, as scripture says. And part of this good news was that Yeshua had come, the promised redeemer had come to crush the head of the serpent, to bring salvation to a world lost in sin and under the punishment and the curse of what that sin brings. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. That sin actually brings death, it creates death when we walk in it. And that is that curse that is on this world and on us when we choose sin. But Yeshua came to take that curse and that punishment upon himself. I said, you know what? You guys deserve death because you have chosen sin. But I will take that death upon myself. I will die in your place because I love you so much. I will die in your place. But he didn't stay dead. Yeshua rose from the dead. He rose from the grave. As Paul writes, he became the first fruits of those who were raised. And in this way, he made it possible that we can also walk in new life. While here on earth, right when we we're baptized, we are we die with Christ, we are raised with Christ, raised with Messiah to become a new creation, to walk in freedom, to walk in life and light instead of darkness and sin. And also so that one day we can also be raised and resurrected to be in God's presence. And when we accept this free gift that God gave through his son, Yeshua, when we accept him as our Messiah, we become a citizen of God's kingdom. And we become a part of a greater story that has been going on since the beginning of time. We are now a son and a daughter of the king. And as sons and daughters of the king, we now have a role in his kingdom to go around spreading God's light here, there, in the midst of the darkness. Darkness and light, it's kind of like water and oil. They don't mix. <laughs> so when you put light, it dispels the darkness. In scripture, we have this Garden of Eden where, like I said, God walked with his creation in the coolness of the day. In the process of restoration, this whole, like the story of restoration, God created ways for heaven to, again, meet earth. In, in smaller ways, you can say. Uh, and he did this through the tabernacles, through the temple. The tabernacle where we have these images of like trees and of uh, cherubim, um, heavenly creatures, this kind of recreation of the garden. And his Holy Spirit dwelled there in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. This picture of heaven again meeting earth. And then, of course, we knew when Yeshua walked on the earth, he was a walking, talking temple, you can say. He tabernacled amongst us as a temple of the Holy Spirit. We know that we are also described as temples. Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? We all have a role to play, to be able to walk as our Messiah walked and become temples even as he did. A light on a hill, right? A light of the world, a city set on a hill to again allow heaven to meet earth and to spread a little bit of heaven everywhere we go. 
as scripture says, the same spirit that rose Yeshua from the dead lives within us. We each have the authority to walk as Yeshua walked, to go not only speak words of life and truth, but to go out and to pray for the sick, to go out and cast out demons, to walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power and authority of the Holy Spirit through Yeshua, knowing that it is he who works through us, it is not us. It is not about what we do, what results we see. It is simply, we are a vessel, a willing vessel, following our Messiah. It's easy for us to get caught up in grand ideals of what we think this needs to look like. Uh, we need to be on a stage, or I need to be a missionary in China. I'll admit, when I was a child, I used to think that to preach the gospel, I needed to be a missionary in China, which is not true. Yes, you can certainly become a missionary and go anywhere in the world, and there is a need for that. There is certainly opportunities to be on stages and all of these things, but that is not, <laughs> that's not the point. The point is that it becomes a lifestyle, that wherever you go, wherever you are, you simply are able to be so full of Yeshua, in a sense, right? That it, it, it seeps off of you, it drips off of you. That wherever you go, what you're passionate about, right? Because when we're passionate about something, we find ourselves talking about that thing we're passionate about everywhere we go. We, we don't hold back. If um, I'm gonna give an example of, uh, <laughs> there are some who choose a certain diet, dietary lifestyle, and this dietary lifestyle is called veganism. And not all, but we know that there are some who choose this vegan lifestyle, and I'm not trying to offend anyone here, but there are those who have chosen this lifestyle and are very, very passionate about this, this dietary choice that they have made. In fact, they're so passionate, you do not have to ask if they are in fact a vegan because they will tell you before you ask. <laughs> before you even realize you needed to know, they will let you know they are indeed a vegan. <laughs> so not that we need to share the gospel in the same way, but when we are passionate about something, we will find ourselves talking about it wherever we go. And so when you are passionate about Yeshua, about you know how he has brought you from darkness to light, how he has worked in your own life, at your own testimony of what he has done, how he has shown his love towards you, his faithfulness towards you in the hard times and the challenges in the wildernesses and the mountaintops and how he's been there. And as you share that with others, that excitement is contagious. But also like just have conversations with people, have, build relationships when you can, friendships. You know, I, I love how Tim Mackey with the Bible Project phrases it. If you want to know what someone thinks about Jesus, ask them what they think about Jesus. <laughs> That's the best way to get to understand where they are and what they think about, you know, the we have in scripture. And a lot of times what they'll share is, you know, what they'll share this this Jesus that they maybe have been hurt by or rejected or um, their their story, you'll start to see in many cases that. The Jesus they're describing is not the biblical Jesus. The gospel story that they're describing that they rejected is not actually the gospel according to scripture. And like we talked about at the beginning of this message that we as believers have a gift and responsibility to bring clarity and to bring truth and love where there is misunderstanding, where there is confusion about what God's heart truly is and what the story of scripture is actually saying, what the gospel and Yeshua actually 
is. You know, and as we're having these conversations, we might encounter questions like this. Questions like, well, how can a good God send people to hell? Right, and this question sounds hectic, like, well, if your God is really good, why would he, just because people don't accept him, send them to hell? That sounds horrible, that sounds evil even, right? See it like this. Imagine you have someone who is pursuing you, who is a suitor, who's interested in you, who you know, seems to care about you. and You have two choices. You can either accept the suitor's interest in you and love for you or whatever, maybe the gifts they're giving you or the, the nice words and the kind words they're, they're telling you. You can accept that and go, you know what? I feel the same way. You know, I think I love this person or I'm interested in this person back. And you'll end up spending time with them, getting to know them, building a relationship and all of that. Or you can be, nah, <laughs> I'm not interested at all in this person. So I don't want anything to do with him. And the suitor then has two choices as well. The suitor can be like, well, tough noogies. I love you anyways, and I'm gonna make sure you know I love you, and in fact, I'm gonna force myself on you so that you know I love you. <laughs> That's obviously not love. That is creepy and abusive and weird and not cool at all. The other choice the suitor has is, okay, they don't, they're not interested in me. They don't love me like I love them, so it's okay. I, because I do love them, I actually do love them, I will give them space. I won't be in their face <laughs> to run. I will give them space and I will step back. They know I, how I feel about them. But in the end, they have the free will to choose. That's what love is all about. To, to fall in love, to go, I, you know what, I choose that this is the person I will bestow my affection upon, right? And so that suitor has that choice to step back and go, okay, they know my love, but in the end, it's their choice. And that's the way it is with God. God is a gentleman. He will not force himself upon us. He will make it clear that he loves us so much as we see written in his word, his love letter to us, that he's given us free gift of salvation, of new life and freedom through his son. And that even throughout our lives, he has reached out. There's been moments in time that he has, you can say, popped in to show his love for you. When he's been there for you in hardship, or even saved you from accidents, things that just are unexplainable in your life. That's like his sign to say, I'm here and I love you. But at the same time, we have the free will to say, I don't care. I don't want anything to do with you, God. There's been things in my life, there's been hardships, and you know, I just don't think that I want you in my life, God. You haven't solved all of my issues, everything that's happened wrong in my life. Why have you not fixed everything henceforth? I, you know, I don't see you as good. I don't want you. So we each have that choice. To choose him, to choose to be in the light or to reject the light and to choose the darkness instead. To choose to be in his presence or to choose to be out of his presence. And in that way, we send ourselves, you can say, to hell. Because when we don't want to be in his presence, there's only one other place to be. And that is out of his presence, out of his light, in the darkness. God says this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life 
This is why Yeshua came to preach what he did, this good news of the kingdom, that you who are lost, you don't have to stay there. A light has come. It's time to walk in freedom. So what is the gospel? Is it this whole concept that once I ask Jesus into my heart, all I need to do is get to heaven and do my dues? Or is the gospel the gospel of a coming king, of the restoration of a broken world, where heaven once met earth but was severed due to sin, but yet through the promises God gave to his people Israel throughout history, prophecies like harbingers waiting to be fulfilled, that Redeemer has come to heal what is lost, to heal what is broken, to be a temple, to spread God's kingdom wherever he went and calling us to do the same, to follow him. As Yeshua says, follow me. It's time we know who we are in Messiah, our identity in him, that we no longer choose the identity that pop culture, Sunday school Christianity has given us, that all it means to be a Christian is to simply do the very minimum and just to get to heaven, that we are created for so much more and we are called to be a part of a greater story that has been going on from the beginning of time. As disciples, as followers of Yeshua, how can we also spread the message, the good news of the kingdom of God, that it has come and that not only that, but our King is returning soon.